You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund to give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plans starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much. You'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you want to relive the feels on Grey's Anatomy... Hulu is here for you. What are you waiting for? Let's go. Every episode of Grey's Anatomy is now streaming on Hulu. Seriously. Every. I'm your person. Every. Now we dance it out. Every. McDreamy. Every. McSteamy. Every Grey's ever. Now streaming on Hulu. And the new season streaming March 15th. I had braces for uh, nine years. I got them on okay. a date. They came off when I was 17. <laughs> and uh, I remember the braces came off and I had a date that evening. So I went to the gym and I'm in the shower and I'm, you know, I'm coming out of the shower and I'm drying off my hair and I look in the mirror and I see something like a thin spot at the very, very top, about the size of a quarter. And I went, I literally said, are you friggin' kidding me? I don't get a day, not one day when it's all working. <laughs> Hello, this is Jason Alexander, and I was on Seinfeld. Hi, this is legendary radio DJ and writer-producer Peter Tilden. Okay. No, it's just me, Brian Baumgartner, but I swear you're going to hear from them both soon. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Off the Beat. We've we've lost a recording somewhere. We didn't hear them introduce themselves, but that's okay. I can not only host the show, I can I can play different characters as well, apparently. Uh, today, as you just heard, we've got not one, not two, well, yes, two guests, and they are real-life besties, Jason Alexander and Peter Tilden. You may know Jason. 
Yes, from his time on Seinfeld playing George Costanza, or perhaps you know him from his extensive Broadway career, which we discuss in depth today, or from Pretty Woman. He played Philip Stuckey. And, of course, we also have writer-producer Peter Tilden on today to talk about his career and working from KABC to co-creating Hit the Road with, you guessed it, Jason Alexander. Also, they just started a brand new podcast together called Really No Really. And yes, really, that is the name, and it's a good one. So I'm not going to keep you waiting. I know many of you have wanted the stars of Seinfeld on today. You have my favorite because he's the first. Jason Alexander and Peter Tilden, everybody. Enjoy. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. Hello, everybody. Oh, there he is. Oh, look at this. There he is. Wow. Look at you, too. Oh, look at you. Yeah, really? At you. No, really? You even have the poster strategically mm-hmm. placed? You bet. We don't kid around. And we know this is just audio. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I promise we'll grab a picture to at least show that. Uh, how are you? How are you both doing? Oh, we're living the dream, Brian. <laughs> you saw us. We were at the uh, the iHeart Award Show where you hosted, which was that's amazing. R- that's right. Yeah, we're just we're we're you know, like Jason said, couldn't get any better. Yeah, pinch me. When when did the two of you meet? Now was it on Bob Patterson? No, no, no. It was uh, so as you probably know, Peter was one of the foremost talk radio hosts in los angeles for 30 years yes and peter what was that kbc back then when i met you or K- it was kbc yeah it was kbc yeah. and i came in uh, you know uh, promoting seinfeld in its earlier years so it's probably around 92 i would imagine maybe second season or third season went in to you know do a straight up interview with peter which does not exist by the way there is no straight up <laughs> interviews with peter and we were giggling and having a good old time and it just felt like you know, we clicked, and after the uh, after we went off the air, Peter said, "Hey, it's early. You want to go grab some breakfast?" And I went, "I kind of do." <laughs> We've been eating for twenty seven more years. We haven't stopped yeah. eating. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was actually at that breakfast where he said, uh, "I've got your next show after Seinfeld." I, and, really? and it was exactly the one we did. But uh, but we've been uh, best friends ever since. That's amazing. I uh, I, I want to go back even before that and talk a little bit about both of you uh growing up when did you realize you started to have interest either in performing or the arts or peter you know having a career in the arts as it will when when did you start getting excited and interested about that i'll go first and get it out of the way because it's not as interesting as yours with magic and broadway and all um i was trapped in a home with insane people okay who would have, if you open my refrigerator, everything was upside down waiting for the last drop. They came from Europe. They had nothing. So I always thought it was upside down. The heat in the house, it was convection currents coming off my father's body. The only time I saw my parents touch was for a, Heim, a brief Heimlich. So I had to get out of there. So when I got out, 
I tried a bunch of different things and then ended up working at radio station briefly, then realizing I could write copy to help sales. And I liked the copy. And then I started doing that and got creative with that, was heard on the radio in, in Philadelphia. Well, I'm just sitting in. And they said, you want to come out to LA? I came out to LA, kept the ad agency I had going, and then started branching out really quickly from radio into doing TV and other stuff. So it was not till later, not, not till uh, I had no sense that this was going to happen. It was kind of accidental until, you know, well, well after college. Unlike Jay, who I think, well, Jay will tell you, it was a child he wanted to perform. Well, in a way, I, I, I was um, <laughs> uh, m- much in juxtaposition to my seemingly gregarious personality. These days. <laughs> uh, I was, I was, uh, and in many ways still am, you know, a, a, a kind of a small personality kid. I, I was, uh, I was a bullied kid. My parents both worked. My siblings were much older than me. So I was kind of a latchkey kid, a little bit of a loner, a little bit of an introvert, kind of a, you know, a scared little kid. And um, m- my escape was into magic magic tricks. Yes. I, I had seen um, Mark Wilson and family on, on the Sullivan show or something or Wonderama or whatever the hell it was. And I, I said, Oh, that looks like fun to have, to have powers. That sounds interesting when you're intimidated a little kid. So I was, I, I really did, you know, for however I started when I was six years old and I was, I got books and I got magic kits and I really put in the time and I, and I thought magic would be an avenue for me not really thinking of it as performing. I just, I didn't really equate it that way. Just thought okay. I was somehow empowering myself in some very juvenile way. Um, when I was 12 or 13 years old, we moved from one town in, in New Jersey to about five towns over where I knew absolutely nobody. And two things happened at the same time. One, I went to, uh, you know, a, a sort of a, what was called a magic camp. It was just a really bunch of courses. And I realized <laughs> that uh, I, I, I just was not keeping up with my peers. I, I, my ability to do close-up magic was considerably less skillful than anybody else. And I went, I'm, I'm not going to be good enough for this. And at the same time, the first kids that picked me up in the new town were the theater kids. And again, I didn't think of it as performing. I thought of it as, oh, suddenly I have friends. I have friends. I never right. had friends before. Right. Um, so I got pulled into this community. And it turned out that I had an, affini- an affinity for uh, being on stage. And it just kept growing. And, and soon after that, my enjoyment of actually going, oh, I like doing this as much as I like being with these people started to develop. And then it became a goal. So, Right. So for you to start, it was really about just being a part of something. Yeah, it was. I, I was not an athletic kid, so it was my team. I suddenly had a sports team. You know? And you didn't find that <laughs> magic, right, right, magic right. camp? The team wasn't there? Uh, not so much a team sport. Yeah. <laughs> how sad was on a scale of one to 10? How sad was magic camp? Oh, it was, first of all, every kid there was in desperate need of therapy. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we were all, we were all bottom of the barrel on our, you know, home turf and, but some very talented kids there. I don't know if they went on to have careers, but I, I, I wanted to be a close up magician. I have teeny tiny little hands to this day. I have a six month old grandson. His hands are almost my size. So uh, I just couldn't manipulate the cards and the coins. And I knew I wasn't going to catch up. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to get ahead of the curve. And I went, it's not going to work out for me. So I better look elsewhere. You, you start falling in love with, with actually acting, performing. And 
for you, did you feel like you needed more training that you needed to go somewhere and study? Talk to me a little bit about for you, how, cause for me, what's fascinating is making the jump right from, which was me, which was like, oh, this is a fun activity, right? This is an extracurricular to then like, oh no, no, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, for the rest of my life, um, there were there were two people who were very influential to me deciding I wanted to be an actor. One one we just had on our podcast, Bill Shatner. I was a Star Trek nut, and I was a Star Trek nut because I fell in love with the charisma that Shatner had on constant display in the role of Kirk. So I, I understood that that was what acting was. I would basically do anything as Bill Shatner. I would just be Bill Shatner. Um, but when I was when I was 12 years old, 13 years old, these kids that I had fallen in with, the fact that I had grown up in New Jersey, we kept going into New York to see Broadway shows. And it was very cheap to do that back then. And I saw a very early performance of Pippin with Ben Vereen. And Ben Vereen, Pippin was the first show that had magic tricks in it that I went, oh, magic. Um, and uh, I... I, I could do that. Poorly. Yeah. <laughs> and I know this sounds as I, I understand how ridiculous this sounds. But as I sat in that chair, I went, I could be Ben Vereen, which means I have to learn to sing. I have to learn to dance like that. And I have to have that much charisma. I have to have that much power on a stage. So I did literally the next week I was I was in tap dance classes and I was okay. studying, um, you know, voice. So I knew those were skills I had to develop. I didn't really understand that I also needed, that there were skills and craft to acting. I didn't realize that. But my parents were dead set, as supportive as they were, because I started working professionally when I was 14. I couldn't have done that if my parents weren't behind that effort. But they, sure. they were very realistic about you know life in this business, and they wanted me to go and have a college education. They were not thrilled with the fact that my college education was going to be as a theater major. <laughs> but it was when I got to Boston University and started studying um, theater that I went, oh, there's like a craft to this. There's like things you have to know. So that's when it started to be um, when my eyes were open to you just don't imitate Bill Shatner every time. <laughs> you know, some other Bill, Bill Shatner and Ben <laughs> yeah. Vereen. What yes. a combo. Wow. <laughs> I know. Ooh, that's what I was wow. thinking. <laughs> um, it's also for me really interesting as people begin to find their place in, in the business and, you know, to hear from you or, or to know about you that your, your Broadway debut happens in Merrily. We roll along, um, obviously as you mentioned, singing and dancing and acting, was there a part of you that felt like you wanted to be a musical theater actor that that's that that was your career that's where you wanted to live yeah well that was that was the ben vereen influence um yeah you know part of the magic of vereen was the way he moved um i i you know we had all watched dancers i i grew up with fred astaire and gene kelly and you know great dancers but there the the fossey sense of sexualized sensuous movement on a guy and a guy that had some street swag to him, you know, um, was just the most, I went, well, that's, of course, that's what you got to do. That's what I want to do. And, you know, my eyes had to be opened to the fact that I was never going to cut the same dash as a Ben Vereen. <laughs> right. You know, that, that reality check came along a little later. But um, in the moment of my childhood, when that all 
happened. I went, yeah, the musical theater. And that's what I got pulled into by these theater kids. You know, first thing I did with them was Sound of Music. And I was a, a Von Trapp kid. So musical theater was what I thought would be my best uh, and maybe only area of success. I wasn't even sure that I could carry the ball as a non-musical actor. Okay. Peter, at this time, you have started working out of college in in radio, and you you come to L.A. Uh, how how old are you? Much then? much later. I didn't come out here into my thirties. I was I had a first a family, okay. and I had an ad agency that was doing okay. And then I when when the guy called and said come out, that was a big risk to come out. And um, I, I came out, kept the agency going for as long as I could for the people that were there. And then I didn't know what I was doing. Morning Drive Radio, your first job. Um, was a was a real eye opener for me, and I thought I was going to go back after a year. I just thought it was over. It was a failed experiment, but I got to meet some people, and it was really cool. And then Talk Radio called me. This was K that was KLS before Howard Stern. Talk Radio called, and I went, and it was wild. They were the number one station in the country at the time, and here I am with everyone's coming in, every guest that you could ever presidents, actors, actresses, politicians, everybody met everybody and interviewed everybody. So it was. And I'm a Yenta. I'm a professional guy who really wants to know everything about you. I think, you know, we did a, cor a corporate yes. thing and I never met you, but I like coming in. I mean, today I prepped today for what you and Jason have you in common. You knew, you knew my, you knew the, the, the brand of underwear Just about well, that I wear. Yeah, I, I don't know how that, you knew you that. Pick that. Now people are going to a different place. It's disgusting. <laughs> but, but like today, what you and Jason have in common, both studied theater. Both did nine yep. seasons on the sitcom. Both have a daytime Emmy. Um, both of you didn't want to be kind of typecast because you do a lot of other stuff. Both were uh, directors at small theaters, artistic directors at small theaters. So it's just cool to come from that place. So I almost want to be here as an audience and not mention what I'm doing because it's fascinating watching you guys. And you asked a great question, which was when's that moment when it goes from a hobby to holy crap, right. I got to deliver. And then when does it go from, I got to deliver to how do I keep delivering? And look at the competition. And my nightmare, I always say to Jason, and if, if you're listening to this and haven't seen Jason on stage, he's my buddy. He's my best friend. We argue all the time. We have the podcast. We've done shows together. I'm still in awe when he walks on stage. Even if I've helped write the piece, there's a different power that happens. He just, it just, this thing happens. And you know this, Brian how amazing that is to own a piece of that stage for X amount of time. And it's yours. You own it and you can do with it whatever you want. And not everybody succeeds. And it fascinates me when I watch him go out there and he transforms into this thing. It, it's goosebump time. He does it every time. It's really powerful. Thanks, Petey. And thank you, Peter, for not mentioning the hairline that Brian and I both Well, yeah, you both have. Okay, you both have. I don't, I don't, thank, thank goodness, but both, which, by the way, must have played into both of your psyches growing up, young, because I remember everybody around me, it's that age. I remember asking this, this girl, Anne, who I was dating at the time, constantly, the back, the back, thinning. It's thinning, isn't it? It's thinning, isn't it? She'd say, you're neurotic. I go, no, I'm thinning, I'm thinning. And she ran into me like 30 years later, and I said, look, see? She said, it's the same. It looks the same. But when, what age, like, what age? Did it happen to you? Yeah. What, what What about you, Jason? I remember it almost to the day. I, I had braces for uh, nine years. I got them on. <laughs> okay. I came off when I was 17. And uh, I remember the braces came off and I had a date that evening. So I went to the gym and I'm in the shower and I'm, you know, I'm coming out of the shower and I'm drying off my hair and I look in the mirror 
and I see something like a thin spot at the very, very top, about the size of a quarter. And I went, I literally said, are you friggin' kidding me? I don't get a day? Not one day when it's all working? <laughs> and it was, it really was the beginning. By the time I got to college, you know, my sophomore year of college, I had you know, uh, like like a, a solid drink coaster spot up there, and uh, <laughs> you know, and I and I panicked over and I cried about it, and I really, really thought it was mm. the end of everything. But you know, if you always say what what you want, what do you want to tell your your younger self? If it hadn't happened, my career would not have happened the way it did because I kept getting cast much older than I was, right. which was far more interesting roles. Right. And I had an energy about those roles that guys that age didn't have. So it made me kind of unique. My, I met my wife when I was 20. So it wasn't like I was looking good and she got fooled. <laughs> she saw where it was going. And went, ah, hell, I'll do it anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, did you ever, I mean, this is, I guess this is personal. Did you ever or consider doing something to change it. Oh my God. Are you kidding? First of all, uh, I was one of the first Rogaine users, um, <laughs> but Rogaine, you know, Rogaine now comes in two forms. There's a, there's like a, an oil base and there's a foam, the oil base back in the beginning, it was like all oil. So if you have thinning hair and you put oil on your head, you look like you belong on the street. You know, so that was no good. Then I went to hair club for men for a year you and did. they had the thing where they make fishing line and they take your hair and they make a braid and then they sew the toupee onto that braid and you have to go every four weeks to have it to have the crud the cottage cheese scraped off your head because you can't shampoo under that um so i did by the that. way if they want to use that as their ad yeah what right just, what are that um <laughs> then, the cottage uh, cheese. Wow. after seinfeld there was a period of time where people, where I got really close to a couple of roles and they ultimately didn't go with me because they said he looks so much like his character on Seinfeld. And I'm, I'm going, you honestly can't see me like if I grow a mustache or I put on a wig, you can't figure that out. So as a sort of F you, I, I wore a toupee for two years publicly, making no bones about it, going, see, see, it changed nothing. <laughs> right. So. If I could have changed it easily, uh, I probably would have, but nothing was okay. was going to be easy. And and frankly, who can, you know, nobody cares anymore. I, no, you know? I I know. I I mean, I'll tell you briefly mine because it's it's similar in a way. Now I already was playing older roles. I'm convinced that it was sped up by that old makeup company, Ben Nye. Remember Ben Nye yeah. does the theater makeup. And I was convinced that cutting, thinning for older roles and putting makeup on did something. Cause it was right after that where it really took a turn. So I went in, I got the, I got the prescription. I had to get a prescription for the Rogaine. My dad was a, was a he is a doctor and got a dermatologist that was his like, buddy and got me the stuff and then i it was explained to me that it could have no effect it could stop the loss or it could reverse like a clock but then what was explained to me was if you ever stop the clock speeds up to wherever you would right it leaps up and i thought (laughs) am i gonna do this forever 
like that was for me, that was the decision. And yeah, it was oily back then at the time, at least it kind of had a, like a fish oil, uh, alcohol. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Kind of smell anyway. So I, I yeah. stopped. Uh, by the way, well, I, bl- didn't- I blame the Jufro phenomena of 1976 where every Jewish okay. boy was getting an Afro and I did it. And that's when I you noticed the spot. Oh, and I went, oh yeah. sure. I burnt every follicle. I put acid and heat and I killed every follicle. Yeah. <laughs> You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much, you're going to be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't like a few extra bucks in their pocket? I certainly would. Money for a golf round, perhaps? Tickets to a concert or a game? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics. 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not in endorsement witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring an unforgettable performance by grammy and academy award-winning singer songwriter and composer john batiste The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
you premiere Merrily We Roll Along, then a number of other Broadway shows, The Rink, Personals, Broadway Bound, Jerome Robbins, uh, Broadway. Were you happy? Was I? Yeah, I was delirious. I, I, I had only one living ambition. in New York, performing yeah. on Broadway. When I, when yeah. I, once you know Ben Vereen got under my skin, I had one ambition in life. That was to somehow get to make a living on the New York stage. I had no fantasies about film or television. It was all about how do I get across the river and make a living on that stage. And I realistically thought, and I was pretty optimistic. I, you know, I, I, I didn't think anything was going to stop me. But optimistically, I thought. Well, I'll get out of college. I'll have to go do summer stock. I'll have to do touring companies. Maybe by the time I'm 40, if I'm lucky, I'll, I'll get to New York. I'll get to Broadway. And I turn around and I can't even finish college because I get cast in my first Broadway show at 20. And not only a Broadway show, but Hal Prince and Steve Sondheim, which were the two biggest figures in the American musical theater of the 20th century. And suddenly, you know, I'm calling them Hal and Steve. And right. my, my debut. <laughs> so it, it was, I was, I was all through the 80s doing all that theater in New York as my primary living and living well. My wife and I, you know, we had a lovely apartment uh, that we rented. We were able to put money in the bank every year. And I thought, this is, this is it. Uh, this is as good as it gets. If I'm lucky enough to keep this going what a happy man am I? And then, you know, all the other stuff happened and you, you go, okay, what, what do you dream of now? <laughs> Cause this is, this is nuts. <laughs> and it all came true. A podcast with my friend, Peter. Now, <laughs> finally, finally, my true purpose. <laughs> <laughs> you were nominated for a Tony for Jerome Robbins's Broadway. Talk to me a little bit about finding out that you were nominated for a Tony. Well, uh, again, you know, 12 year old kid in New Jersey, uh, fantasizing in the bathroom. You're, I'm not holding the Oscar. I'm holding the Tony. That's what it was all right. about. Uh, it, it was, um, I don't even know where to put it. I, I mean, I know where it all sits for me now at the time. It was hard to remember. Um, it was all terribly exciting and a little bit confusing because it felt like my life was happening at a very accelerated pace. You know, when you dream of something as kind of an end goal and it comes early, right? it really can, as much as it's exciting, it can throw you because you go, well, what the hell do I dream of next? I mean, I'm already disproportionately blessed. Where can this go but down in some ways? <laughs> uh, so I, I was overwhelmed by it all. And I can tell you, I've, I've said it on, on things before, I was I would have been horribly disappointed if I had lost the award, but I won it. And it was a great night, and I'm very, very thrilled and proud to have it. But when I got home that night, you know, we had done the party and we had done everything. And I got home and, you know, I had 20 messages on my phone machine, which was a lot. You know, it's I, normal day would be three or four or 20 is a lot, but it wasn't a hundred. It wasn't a thousand. Right. The, the world didn't change. And I got into bed that night with my wife and there was a, a, a line in Pippin that I used to quote all the time because the story of Pippin, that Ben Vereen show, is um, Pippin knows he's extraordinary, but he doesn't know what he's supposed to do with his life. So he tries a bunch of different things. And at one point he tries being a soldier. And at the end of that sequence, Ben Vereen says to him, well, how, how was that for you? And Pippin says, I thought there'd be more plumes. 
And I got in bed that night with my wife, Dana, and she said, what are you, what are you feeling? And I said, I thought there'd be more plumes. And what I learned was, you know, it was the beginning of learning that the destin you hear it all the time. It's not the destination, it's the journey. Yeah. It, it began to prove itself very, very true for me that night. So I, I no longer put energy on those kinds of milestones. There are very different kinds of markers and milestones and goals yeah, in my life um, that, I, that I think ultimately have more personal value. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's so true. The journey, I mean, it's, it's everything. And especially when you're in a business such as ours, where there's, there's a strive for some sort of artistic creativity, there's wanting to be different, wanting to change things, even roles that you play that have happened before that you find your own way within that performing in front of a live audience, then performing in front of millions. I mean, all of those things when, you know, when people would ask us about the show or the Emmys or the golden globes or this or that, it's like, you know, yeah, we had a couple of great parties. We had a couple, but it's never what I think about. It's also, you know, Peter, you should talk about this a little bit, but you know, Peter and I have done several projects together that by a barometer, a showbiz barometer, they didn't succeed. They didn't become the goal that we had hoped for. But Pete, they are probably the best parts of our life together was every one of those projects. I always say to Jason, you know, the reason I came up with the first TV show was so we could work together because there's a different thing to be friends. And then there's a real different thing to share the stage together. You know, that's really something special. And then when that went away, I said, oh, I got to come up with the next thing so we can be together. Came up with another show about a family on a bus. This was before COVID. Who I thought that would be the nurse, worst nightmare. You have kids in your family and you know exactly what they're doing every minute of the day. I don't want to know most of that because the responsibility would be insane. So we got to do that. We sold that. And then when the corporate, when the Donnie Clay, his uh, Bob Patterson, excuse me, the TV show where he was a motivational guy went away, we created a live show where we played corporations as that character so we could continue doing that. We traveled all over, then created a stand up show. And then this podcast, I didn't want to do, you know, I was in radio. I didn't want to do a podcast because there were so many, you know, wasn't sure. Then researched it, came up with the concept. Jason was in and thought, and the greatest thing, we were doing an interview the other day. And Jason said, the most amazing thing is like this. Uh, this was the magic of my radio career that I got to interview everybody and anybody and ask these kinds of questions that you really want to know about if you're really inter- an interested person and you can travel through cultural time and space and find out about them, and live experientially through them. I mean, Jason's talking about Broadway. It takes right. you on that stage. I always ask him, how do you, if it's the same show every night, are the little nuances, is that what the ma- what's the magic? I couldn't imagine the redundancy. So it's such a different world, you know? And I know you have, you're laughing because you're smiling because the same question, but it's been such an amazing journey to share this. I wouldn't have gotten to meet you. I wouldn't have gotten to do this with Jason, with you. So the next chapter that we create always is really exciting. And again, will this be a huge success? It doesn't, it'd be nice and it's great if a lot of people can hear it and we move the ball and kind of educate some people and and make them laugh. But you know what? This is already, what a great, look at that. 
what a great way to spend an, an afternoon for a bit, you know, hanging out with you yeah. and, and you can get to know Jason in a different way in the audience. And it's, and it's a definition. It, it's a redefinition of what success is. We, we tend as human beings to define success by the response we get from other people, as opposed to our own experience of the thing we're doing. And the nice thing for Peter and I is that the experience of the doing of everything we've done has been some of the best times of my life. We laugh together endlessly. The worst stuff. Endlessly. The worst stuff. And, you know, when we were doing Bob Patterson, when that show ended, Peter went into the hospital and died on the table. He was that ill. And so when I think about, you know, what was the cost of trying to make a success for other people? And yet we we laughed ourselves sick through that. And, whole continue, and continue to. Yeah. That's the only way to go. And that was what we figured the show would be. Let's learn some stuff. But also, if we're not laughing and we're doing something that's divisive, we don't, the world doesn't say, hey, we need another divisive thing. Yeah. So if, if we can, yeah, <laughs> let's not do that. Let's, <laughs> let's educate a little bit. Let's learn what we want to do because we're both bumpkins. And the funniest thing is, as this evolves, Jason and I argue all day long about everything. No, I don't. When we do, when, <laughs> when we do these, it becomes this sickening love <laughs> um, and then we go back and go, you talk too much. Oh, shut up. You talk too much. How come you wasn't your show? Why did you ask me? that hat. Why didn't but we're you not doing that? Yeah. <laughs> we're not doing it now. <laughs> but it is a joy. You know that. Yes. Why would you do it? No. You don't need to do this, right? A right? No. You could be out playing golf. Abs absolutely. No. I. In fact, I have said, so I, I hope, it sounds like you are having the same experience. People ask about me doing the podcast and I universally it is the my favorite and the best time of my day because right. yeah. getting to hear people's stories and you know being genuinely interested in yeah. the question that I'm about to ask Jason which is you you're on Broadway it's your dream it's your it, it is your everything there may not be as many plumes as you say when you finally get there and you have the ultimate and you win the Tony, why the change another opportunity or do you make a conscious decision that you're ready for something else when you oh. start moving, which by the way, for people who don't know the year that Jerome Robbins Broadway comes out and he wins the Tony and that's his, he gets the 20 phone calls. This is the year that Seinfeld comes out. So for you, for me, and let me just say this first. For me, when I was doing theater, I considered it a career change. That's what it was for me. When I moved to Los Angeles and said, I'm going to say no to theater projects for the next year. I, and mm -hmm. I, it really, for me, felt like a career change. For you, what is the decision for you to begin to transition into television? There, there was, Brian, there was no decision. I, I am always... I was so happy 35 years ago, uh, Robert Duvall won an Oscar for um, Great Santini. And he was being interviewed on television and the interviewer said to him, it must be great to get to a point in your career where you're making your choices and you're doing the things you want to do and people are coming to you. And Duvall looked at her and went, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Anybody who basically wants to hire me, all they got to do is ask. If it's not porn, I'll do it. You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think there's maybe 20 
five people in our business at any given time where we're literally making choices and decisions and plotting a course. The rest of us schmucks are just going, what, someone wants me to do something? Oh, right. oh that sounds interesting. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm doing theater and Gary Marshall hires me for Pretty Woman. I go, okay, I've been in a couple of movies. Didn't right. change my life. This isn't going to, who knew Pretty Woman was going to be Pretty Woman? And then this pilot comes up and they go, it's the Seinfeld uh, uh, experience or the Seinfeld, whatever. Right. And uh, I go, oh, I, I saw Jerry Seinfeld in the club. That seems fun. And, you know, I audition. I audition. They didn't come get me. I right. audition. And I got it. And we did it. And, you know, it, it was a failed pilot. It wasn't going, I went back to New York and they went, oh, we're going to do four more. I went, okay, you know, I got nothing else going on. Right. I'll do four more. And it became a thing. There was no choice. Next thing I knew, I'm living in LA. <laughs> I got kids and I can't get back to New York to do theater. And once I had the kids, I, I kind of, that was the change. The children were the change because doing eight shows a week, it's the antithesis of a child's schedule. You know, they come home from school, you go to work. They come home on weekends, you go to work. They're not going to school on holidays, you're working double on holidays. So I knew if I wanted to be a participatory father, the theater had to be a very, very selective small piece of my life. So I focused on film and television specifically until my kids got through high school. Right. And then now I'm really more back in the theater than anything else. That's that's really interesting. And I think that's partly that's got to be you know i i worked all around the country including new york and other places i was more you know i was working at the guthrie and berkeley rep and doing touring shows and you know for me it felt like it felt like i had to make a decision yeah yeah it wasn't sort of happening as simultaneously as it, as it was for you and i don't mean simultaneously but i mean Go, moving back and forth between doing this movie or doing that, you know, mm -hmm. I had done a couple of films, but that was like, Oh, they came to, you know, Minneapolis or whatever. And I just happened to get cast in this or that. But, mm -hmm. um, that's interesting that for you, it wasn't a change. And so really it was, it was after Seinfeld happened and your kids came that you decide to focus ex exclusively there for them. Yeah. My, my, I yeah. remember it, when Seinfeld ended, my sons were 10 and six years old. And I said to my wife, you know, honey, I think the best thing we could do is go back to New York or go back on the stage. I don't know what's going to happen in film or television. I mean, I've got this elevated visibility, but that's going to be really powerful on the stage. I don't know if it's going to be meaningful out here. And my wife, you know, <laughs> was, has achieved more wisdom in one lifetime than I will get in 10. <laughs> says to me, you know, absolutely, whatever you want to do, we, we will go. Let me just ask you a question. You know what eight a week is like. On your deathbed, <laughs> that's always a good sentence. Yeah. On your deathbed, do you think you will remember your great nights on the stage or the nights you tucked your boys to sleep? And I went, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so the decision got made. And, and that's why I started a theater. Well, I didn't start it, but I took over a theater company out here for several years. Just to, I did the producers in LA uh, for a year with Marty Short. You know, I would, I would keep my, my toe in the water, but it, it, I was really working. And Peter knows because we did a lot of it together. I was working to try and get a television thing happening again because I knew that was the best parenting schedule I had ever had. 
Um, and so that was that I was actively pursuing, but everything else has been pretty much a happy accident. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much, you're going to be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't like a few extra bucks in their pocket? I certainly would. Money for a golf round, perhaps? Tickets to a concert or a game? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics. 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not an endorsement witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring an unforgettable performance by grammy and academy award-winning singer songwriter and composer john batiste the all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You come from the theater, which is uh, the genesis of this question. How close to you is George? You know, my knee-jerk answer used to be not at all. But, uh, you know, now, now I don't 
I don't honestly know. I can tell you, George, there were three role models in my head over the years that I played him. Initially, when I was auditioning for it, I had Woody Allen in my head. Mm -hmm. um, as we were doing some of the early episodes, there was a good little dollop of Jackie Gleason that got in there as well. Yeah, I see that. But as soon as I... As soon as I understood that George was some sort of um, alter ego for Larry, I had the great good fortune of having the role model standing next to me for the next seven years. And I feel like most of what I was doing as George was trying to run Larry's physicalities and Larry's vocal rhythms and Larry's I'm going to say performative sensibilities because actually I, I know Larry to be a much, for lack of a better word, sweeter human being than the character he plays. But um, I was just trying to funnel all that through something that would fit on me. So I would, I would have always said it's, well, it's not me. It's mostly my interpretation of Larry. But as, as I go back of late and I sometimes look at an old episode and I go, that little piece of timing, that look that I did, that little thing, that is something I can see in my sons. And I go, so that's pure Jason. That ain't Larry. Um, so I, I can tell you only I, I understand George. George, is, George could be a despicable human being. He is selfish. He's unethical. You know, he, he behaves very badly at times. And I, I get it. And what saves him for me, and the reason I have affection for the character, is because he is so driven by a sense of, I, I'm not cutting it. I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm not good enough to be anything. But he can't live with that, so he overcompensates and exaggerates and lies and manufactures and acts out out of a desperation that... You know, who of us has, has not been prey to that at one time or another, acted in ways we're not proud of? I mean, I, I, I was in, I've been in therapy for 35 years <laughs> and trying to not do that stuff because it's such a common. And I think that's why George has the, the touch of the common man is because everybody to some degree feels their own inadequacies. Even if they have a healthy ego, they feel their own inadequacies. They feel when they go into any given room that they're not enough. They don't deserve to be there. And for many, many people, they compensate by exaggerating, overblowing, making inorganic choices to who they really are. And they get hoisted on their own petard, much like a George. And so I have yeah. sympathy because I think he is, in many ways, the, the human race trying to figure it out. You know? No, I, I mean, look at Peter. Peter has come so so far, and yet has so far to go. And yet <laughs> you know something? I'm thinking you're much more like George than you admit. <laughs> um, so, so there's this there's a sense of entitlement in George that Jason doesn't have. But when Jason is slighted, and it's really funny, and I'm not trying to segue back to the podcast, but Jason, the 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 origin of the podcast, the phrase what I came up with, Jason would I would crack up because, and this is a George thing. If we're driving and I get cut off, I go, what the hell does you know, Jason does a different thing. When he's cut off, 
or the waiter doesn't bring the check in time, whatever. Really, really. It's this huge, <laughs> enormous slight. It really encompasses so much. How it's dare they? It is always. often in the car. Well, some people do a thing where they just they do something stupid on the road, and I'll just go, really, really, really. Or, or, yeah, but something is done, and politically, something is done in the world that you really. There's noise, really, which is a succinct way of saying, "What are they doing to me? What's what are they doing here? to me? What are they doing to me? To exactly." Me. And I That's couldn't right. get. By the way, Brian, I couldn't get. They wanted really dark. They wanted like a half million bucks, and I went, "There's no way." So I thought, how do we make it even more absurd that I don't believe your first answer? So I, I don't believe your first answer, so I'm already going, really? No, really. I'm assuming yeah. you're going to BS me, and I'm going right to the second. But that's Jason. <laughs> that, when you say, how's he like George? That's Jason. I see it. He's sweet. He's a dad. He's this. And then it dissolves in a second <laughs> when that slight comes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, one, I'm one line away from going, you know, we're living in a society. <laughs> <laughs> and I see it. So he's not George because he doesn't go to there. Uh, right. But he will go there for money. But he doesn't, he doesn't, go, but he doesn't go there. But it's lurking. It is lurking yeah. under the skin because you yeah, saw how easily, how easily he went. <laughs> uh, how... Jason, how important for you, because you just brought it up, yeah. how important for you is physicality, vocal rhythm, posture, for lack of a better word, that's an awful non-actory word, I don't know where that just came from, but how important is that for you to creating a character? Uh, essential, Brian. I I've been teaching acting for the last, oh, I don't know, 25 years, and it's been developing. I... Um, my guru, the, the man who really sort of brought clarity to me about the craft is a gentleman who's still teaching and a friend of mine. His name is Larry Moss. Uh, he's New York based. And I started uh, building off the principles that Larry gave me about 25 years ago when I started doing master classes. And, but one of the main components that's developed in my own look at stuff is that um, without getting too much into the how we make the sausage, but, you know, Actors do many things. We, we portray feelings, but we're not called em emoters or feelers. We speak the lines, but we're not called speakers or orators. We're called actors. And the, re the thing we bring to text that makes it more than a reading is actions, physicality, uh, verbs, things we try to do to each other as these lines tell their story. And so the physicality of not only how does my character inhabit and move through space? Is there, you know, is there a, a person that I want to use as a, a sort of a role model? Is there an animal? Is there an idea that informs my body in a different way? And then, you know, with the text, what am I, what am I physically doing? What, what actions are being played through all this? What am I trying to get the other actors or other characters rather to do? In any given scene, so it's there's a huge physical component to it, and it's it's the thing that uh, a lot of American actors, in particular, don't put much thinking into, and it's the thing that I, when I teach, I kind of lead with it, and it in in many ways it can screw up actors um, because they're being asked to think in a different way, and it, it's very off-putting. But for those that uh, rally to it, you just see these huge, huge leaps in their in their. Uh, ability and what they can do and, and the sort of uniqueness of their performance. Um, so it's, it's exciting. What do you think the legacy of Seinfeld is? 
Oh gosh, I you know I have no idea. You know I I I, I keep waiting for for someone to have enough perspective on it to really be able to answer that question. I I honest to God, other than I really do think it was a funny show. I I, I can objectively stand back and go really funny and really performed and written exquisitely well. And I, and I, I give so much, you know, high fives to the writers. People always say, you guys were so good. You were good. And I go, well, you know, if they throw the ball to the five yard line, it's not hard to fall. In the end. <laughs> and, and the writers, the writing on the show was consistently handing you, you know, a touchdown every week. You just had to not fumble it. Um, it's it's a very funny show and it's celebrated funny. It's but I guess it in its zeitgeist, it was able to ask the audience to look in the mirror at the things they were going through all the time and do what Jerry and Larry are able to do, and most good comics are able to do, is to take the 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 stuff that seems mundane or oppressive or wrong or just crazy about their lives and see what's funny about it to see what's funny in the human condition to give voice to the false inflations of ego and and you know i deserve this and i'm gonna get that and i don't deserve this and this is right for me and every man for himself and me before you know there, there was something about the way they portrayed those things and the the fa- i mean the fact that we did an episode on masturbation yeah and and got away with it and yeah. and involved a girl in it at the time. I mean, forget even just doing a show about masturbation. To right. have a girl be part of it was like right. unheard of. And But that's what I mean about I'm going to take a wild swing and say 90% of the human population at one time or another has probably touched themselves. <laughs> so, to To make fun of that reality is so bold and so interesting and makes it all so much more human to say, hey, you know what? We all have, we all think too highly of ourselves at one time or another. We right. all take the selfish path or the path of least resistance every now and then. And and we look awfully stupid when we do. It, it, it did that. And I think it allowed people to do what we are not as capable of doing right now, which is to laugh at ourselves. You know, I, I am as progressive a human as I as I think I can be, but I worry. The only thing I worry about is that as we struggle to figure out how we all fit together, no matter who we are and what we represent, if we lose our ability to go, we are all kind of silly. We're all kind of, I mean, the struggles are real and the wants are real, but we do behave in kind of crazy ways every now and then. And if we can't enjoy that about ourselves and about each other, then I, I truly do worry for humanity in some ways. We, we, we lose our sense of humor and the ability to go, we're, we're kind of silly. I mean, we, the things we want to do are serious and, and they're yeah. vital, but we're kind of silly in the way we navigate this crazy world. Dude, I, I look, I'm a nerd. For the business. I love the business. I read a lot about it. And for whatever it's worth, the answer that you just gave about Seinfeld, maybe it's been said a thousand times before, but it's the smartest and most succinct answer that I've ever heard about it. Makes sense because you're a you're a smart guy and you worked on it for a hell of a long time. But you know, people talk about the office, 
and especially when the office first started because it was different, like Seinfeld was different. They sort of, uh, connected us in, in a, in a way like we're, we're a progression for that. And for me, it, that never made sense to, to me because to me, our, even though, you know, the form was totally different. I saw us as being Uh, born out of cheers, which is a collection of people who are stuck together hmm. either by choice or not, uh, in different environments, but ultimately you know, to be simplistic right now, to not give an hour dissertation, celebrating the ordinariness of people, like finding small victories that may seem mundane to other people that are, but are very important. And for me, Seinfeld was never that it wasn't a show about nothing, but, but your answer right there is finding those idiosyncrasies and being able to laugh at ourselves and how important that is and how today, yeah, we run the risk of, we need that lesson again, I should say. Um, I, I think that's for what it's worth. I just wow. really smart to me. So thank you. Um, thank you for doing that. Um, you already told a little bit of the story. You're, you're doing Seinfeld and you meet this guy, Peter, who tells you what you're going to start working on <laughs> on next. Um, was that Bob Patterson? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I just okay. want to announce our new uh, podcast, which we uh, lighten up. Is our new podcast. <laughs> we'll be launching it today, right after. Lighten the hell up. Lighten the hell up. Uh, yeah, that was Bob Patterson, right, Jay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Peter, Pete, right, right down to the name. Peter took me to that breakfast and he said, Your next That's show. Crazy. He said, Do you know who Tony Robbins is? I said, Sure. He said, I want to do a show where Tony Robbins can't motivate his own family. And the guy's name is going to be Bob Patterson. And he's going to, and I went, Well, that's not, and I said, That's, that's not, I don't think anybody's ever touched that. That's really funny. A guy who's, made a living telling everybody else how to live their lives to improve it. And he, his life is a total shame. Because shambles. we all know the behind closed doors, allegedly, that's what's going on. You know, and, and I'm fascinated by the, the, the self-improvement, that whole movement that somebody says, you know what's going to take you to the next level? What's going to really make you feel good about yourself and growth? Walking on hot coals without any shoes for 15 seconds. <laughs> that, that is the thing that is going to... that. <laughs> Sweat Lodge is going to do it. And so you go, on what world, on what world do they have that formula? And it's it's fascinating because I never know if it's about people who, who want somebody else to do the push-ups for them. But I just always picture these motivational guys at home going, oh, no, we can't get a divorce. You know what that looks like to me? I got a book right. coming out. So so <laughs> we created the show Bob Patterson, who, what was his slogan? Oh, help me, help you, help me. <laughs> yeah. Help you or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then because Jason, circling back, was so intimidated by William Shatner, I made William Shatner his nemesis. <laughs> Just to watch the two of them on stage together and watch Jason get to act with the legend who launched his career, which was stunning to watch. It was great. Very true. Very true. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month 
for four lines. You're going to save so much, you're going to be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't like a few extra bucks in their pocket? I certainly would. Money for a golf round, perhaps? Tickets to a concert or a game? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics. 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not in endorsement witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring an unforgettable performance by grammy and academy award-winning singer songwriter and composer john batiste The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hit the Road, another collaboration. You you co-created that series together as well. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that. That was Jason, as we can hear, when he plays Aggravated, there's nobody funnier than that. Yes. So I remember in country music, because I, I did country music for about nine years. I know you're a Willie Nelson fan. And from Texas, I guess you know Pat Green too, right? The whole, I the do. Whole yeah, there you go. Yes. Right. So I helped him do his wave Nelson, on wave. Oh, oh yeah. Wait, oh. hold on a second. Hold on a second. Pat, how did you know that? that because I did country get... music for nine years, and we I was the West Coast mm-hmm. station that, that that supported Wave on Wave, and no, we hung wait. with Pat a lot, yeah. Pat Green was a, a childhood friend, fraternity brother of 
my friend in my dorm's brother who I started listening to Pat Green oh, on the wow. in my dorm room outside. Nobody knew who Pat Green. This is what I mean about my underwear. I don't know how you could possibly. Well, and the cool thing about Pat that we should do now that I'm Jesus. thinking about this, if you're a Pat Green fan, Pat also. So Pat had a hit with Wave on Wave, with, which was a national hit. And he did charity for us. Brad Paisley, who's a friend, played with him, whatever. I put that together. But Pat, if you're in Texas, you know Pat, because Pat sells out and he tours Texas and he plays. You know what his big passion is? Golf. He's like an eight handicap, like you, close to close to your yeah. handicap. So you guys, if he, if you love him, you could play uh, eighteen holes and he'll sing go, for you. We should go play. <laughs> there you no, go. I knew him when he was just, I mean, wow. like lit, like not even a note. Like he just was like That's great. my friend's friend. <laughs> but it was Pat Green, and now he's a big he exploded. <laughs> yes, in Texas, Willie Nelson. You're right. You're right about, you're right about that one. That By one, the way, I'm I was on Willie Nelson's bus. Me too. And it's a combination of a dope den in your grand grandmother's apartment because there's like all these Danish boxes are open and it's, it's, it's really an amazing cause he's older. I mean, Millie's older now at this point, but what a, what a, you've met him. Obviously he's what a character, what a, an amazing, amazing 90th being. birthday, 90, amazing. 90. So Jason back to Jason and the bus. Nothing. When he was doing country music, Jamie O'Neill, was in a family band with her parents. And she used to say, never always stuck with me, that right before you go on stage, it's, well, screw you. I don't care about you. One, two, three, I see America singing. And then you come off stage and well, screw dad. And I thought, what a great thing that is, that you're stuck. And you know that your kid is doing, you don't want, all the stuff you don't want to know that your kids are doing, you're forced to deal with because you're on a bus traveling across the country and you're not doing so well. So all of that, and that's why we launched it. And it was originally called Swallow, which was the family, the family name, and a takeoff of partridge. We said it's the it's the it's the dysfunctional partridge family. So we said, what's another bird? And we went, oh, Swallow. swallow. And they're not smart <laughs> enough to realize that's not a good name for a family man. So. And the bus would be defaced all the time, but the network changed it to hit the road. <laughs> okay. Um, are you better work collaborators or friends? There's no difference. I was just going to say that too. There's no line There's because really no we difference. do this. I love yeah. him. So honestly, Brian, you know, the other part of Seinfeld, the other part of the office is especially in today's world and with COVID isolation, you got to see friendships that were really, and because they spoke like real people spoke, they didn't speak in sitcom set up and punchline. And there was stasis there. Like there's in real life yes. and there was emotion and you could actually play stuff out. It wasn't the old sitcom rhythm. I think that people connected with that in such a big way, just like they do reality television, which they they love. They just love. They were immersed in those characters. It becomes part of who you are. Touchstone, just like music is powerful. And you remember when that song came out, what you're going through. I hear it with with the next generation for Seinfeld, where they go, they're just finding it. And when you say, what are they finding? They're finding the joy of four people who were honest with each other. And talked in a way that no sitcom did before, and the same with The Office, and then on and on. This this real thing, like independent movies, I think that was a that was a huge thing. So Jason and I are pretty much off the air, on the air, same the same deal. Um, and I'm blessed to have your best friend and be able to do to hang like that. You know, I'm forced forced to be together. It's it's pretty cool. And you know, honestly, um, Brian, the, the the difference for me, and I'm trying to figure it out, and I've been trying to figure it out for many many years. Uh, I, I know this sounds like I'm trying to be cute and I'm not, I, I never thought of myself as particularly funny. 
And suddenly I was making a living playing comedy um, before Seinfeld, even on stage in my Broadway days, I was doing comedy, 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 comedy. Unlike many people who sort of thought about comedy all their lives, I didn't create a comedic persona for myself in life prior to having to sort of present that way. So what the podcast is so interesting for me, uh, my sense of humor, for whatever it may be, <laughs> um, is informed by the fact I grew up in New Jersey. And my dad and all his friends and a bunch of my friends have that sort of Joe Pesci, if I really think you're great and I like you a lot, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nudge at you. Right. I'm going to try. I'm going to pick at you like a little like a little chicken. And that is a that I found that to be a real Jersey thing. And so that is the sense of humor I grew up with. And so often it'll become my oh, I have to be funny. I, they're expecting Jason to be funny. Let me go to that. And I don't often like the way it comes off, you know, because it's not it's not really who I am. Uh, right. if, if Peter and I are doing the show, what you're going to hear from me is picking at Peter and he'll picking at me. <laughs> but if you ask me off the show, tell me about Peter Tilden. I go, he has my heart. He, you know, I, my, but we really default, do, but it's genuine. The picking is genuine. Yeah. My default is not to go to the sense of humor. So even with the podcast now in developing our podcast personas has been so interesting because, you know, he says we argue all the time. We discuss all the time. We have different points of view, <laughs> but on the show, we do what we step it up. <laughs> you know, we go. Right. What's your take? What's my take? Let's make sure that you know that we have something <laughs> to box with. And it, it's become a really interesting, um, fun thing. But the most laughs we've ever had in our life together outside is is when you know he'll be he'll be working on something. We'll be working on a piece of material, and he'll he'll start to say something structural, and I go. That, that's not your area. Structure's not your area. I'll handle structure. And he, he's like, not my area. I did, a, I did a radio show for 30 years. I had four hours to fill all about structure. It's not my area. It's not your area. What do you, what do you want? So you when you say, is that real to ramp it up? And then I go, so what's my area? And he'll go, haven't found it yet. We don't know yeah. what your area is. <laughs> we're, looking, we're looking for your area. <laughs> it's so... What a great question, Brian. What a great question that was. We've never been, I've never thought of that. Is there a line? between the work and the friendship thing. And he, when I heard him, I was really curious to hear his answer because I feel the same way. It's, it's, yeah, it's... We, we, the only difference is we, we don't generally lead with, there is no bigger heart in the world than Peter Tilden. If, if, if he found out you had a charity or you have a kid or you have somebody in need or you need, he's not only going, oh my gosh, that's so sweet if there's anything I can do. No, no, no. It's not if there's anything I can do. He's going, here's what I can do. I'm going to make a call. I'm going to do a thing. The heart is stupid. We know that with each other. And that is a big bonding thing between us. But we, on air, we would never talk about that. <laughs> we well, that's never, also the pathetic desire to be loved by everybody. I mean, the, the, the downside of that is <laughs> it's pathetic because you just need that much love. You know? uh, well, uh, your answer is supremely interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, our, our stories are very similar when I am introduced as a comedian, I feel physically uncomfortable and I'm not saying that as a joke. Like I, I, I feel like I start like having to adjust, 
because it's not, um, yeah. it's not how I define myself or see or, or see myself. I see myself as someone who creates characters and, uh, and is interested in building relationships and, and, and characters not as making people laugh, but that's what yeah. is expected. Yeah. 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 Is your best friend in the business, by the way? No. No, and in part, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Actually, now just to share something with you, not that it, like every single person is different, but I I talked to uh, Penn Gillette, Penn and Teller, Penn Gillette, very smart guy. He tells me they've been together. Oh, I'm gonna mess it up now. Whatever it is, thirty, forty years. They have dinner once a year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. They they you know they keep it totally separate. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't expect that to be your answer, but that's what made me, th- that's what made yeah, me think well, of the and, question. And, you know, there's been a lot of great working. Well, you know, here's the thing. People assume that Jerry and Michael and Julia and I are the closest social friends. I, I honest to God, I love them to death. All three of them. Um, if they ask me to walk through a hoop of fire, I do it in a second. We are constantly doing things for each other, but our experience on the show is because of everyone's schedule. We were, we were work friends. We weren't really social friends. We didn't hang right. out all that often. And when the show ended, we didn't have that history of being social friends. So unfortunately, you know, we, we chat and see each other very, very rarely. And when we do see each other, it falls right back together. But, you know, it's just, we sort of have the, the Penn and Teller relationship of, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Tell you on your birthday and say happy birthday and happy birthday. Yeah, exactly. Congrats on your success and good luck on this project. And you know, yeah, I see you. Yeah, we've talked about it quite a bit. Your new podcast, really, no, really. uh, By the way, I don't know how you could listen to the to the two of you together and not want to go deeper in into your relationship. (laughs) Bizarre and awkward. Um, craziest thing that you've learned from a guest so far? Ooh, it's one that hasn't aired yet. And in fact, yeah. you give uh, it away. You uh, tease it. Don't give that's it away. A spoiler. Don't... No, no, no. Spoiler alert. Exclusive. Use, He'll blow it. He'll give it away. We may not use it. I think it's important that we share it. Um, Peter introduced me to a guy mm. um, who was a former white supremacist. And the really no really of why we had him on the air is one of the reasons he was compelled to leave the movement is he was a big Seinfeld fan. And he went, these Jews can't be all bad. Uh, so, <laughs> he wasn't just true? a white supremacist. Yeah. He was, yeah, he's a major, he was a major white supremacist, ran a movement and had, and for many years. And when I, when I booked him, cause I'd known him from radio when I did my radio, he's fascinating. He's articulate. He's smart. Yeah. Really and, and the really no really was that he left partially because of Seinfeld. But, but the bigger said, real, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had it, we were having, you know, a conversation that went funny and went not funny. And but we said to him, tell tell me something about these rank and file, you know, guys that we see on the street and we go, these are not good people. The, the, you know, the, the, these are scary people. I'm I I I I I wish I didn't have to share a world with this kind of energy, right? What what don't I know about them that I could see them differently. And without blinking an eye, he said, they're all broken. They all have a trauma. And he said, I will tell you that you will move them far faster and far further by looking at them and saying, you know what? Some some stuff really must have happened to you. 
I'm sorry it happened to you. And if you can find your way to not shouting at me or hating me, maybe we could talk about it sometime because you're a human being, I'm a human being. He said, you'll go so much further. And in fact, it was part of his conversion was people who should not have been kind to him. Well, that's what he's, yeah, that's what he's being said. Counterintuitive. Because what got him into the movement was people being unkind, people taking advantage of him, people not seeing his heart or taking advantage of his heart until it shattered. And then he was susceptible to wanting to feel powerful. And that wasn't like the most revelatory thing I ever heard, but to hear it coming from someone who had been through it and to hear the prescription for the, the greatest thing you can do to help mend it is to find your compassion for that human being at their very worst. And uh, I thought that was, that was a huge lesson. Yeah, you said it's tough because it's counterintuitive for you to reach out, but know that they're broken. And he said, everyone that I hated that chipped away at me because they were nice to me along the way, it, wore, it, it eventually wore me down because the kindness is what got me out. So, yeah. And mine is a little bit, my oh wow was recent fascinating astronaut who was in the space station. We were talking about space junk. It was there really, no really, are we going to be landlocked in a couple of years because there's much, so much space junk and it's glowing. And I, we got an astronaut to talk about it. And I didn't know a spacewalk was seven hours long, that your arms are exhausted because you're doing it with your arms. And if you get untethered, there is a major tether, but it can pull you back really fast and you could hit the vehicle and bad stuff happens. Your, your helmet breaks, whatever. But the best moment for me was he's got something to hydrate himself in his suit so he can sip on it, some water. And he said, I'm in my spacewalk, midst of my spacewalk, and I see something really little plastic piece float by my eye line. And at that moment, I realized the tip broke off the thing I hydrate with, and I'm going to drown in my helmet while I'm doing a spacewalk. Uh-huh. Right. So Jeez. you start sipping like, you, you, can you imagine? Yeah. It's one of the little things you have to put up with during a spacewalk, drowning well, the in other, your helmet. The other part of that, and then I, I, I may have to. You're looking for, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, he, he talks about doing a spacewalk for seven hours with, with a partner, and they go out and they retrieve this piece of, uh, of a thing that they need, this like a handle. He said, it looks like a steering wheel and it's about a half inch of solid aluminum. And they've got it under, one guy's got it under his arm and they come back in after the whole thing and they get in the airlock and they hold up that piece of material and there's a hole right through it, which meant that some piece of space junk traveling at 17,500 miles per second <laughs> or per, per minute passed through that thing that he was holding under his armpit. And he said, they looked at each other and they said, you know, if that had hit one of us. Done. Good night. <laughs> oh yeah, it's God. really, there's so much, that's, there's so much we find out when you dig deep, you know, you start peeling the onion about just living on that space station is in, say, in weightlessness the entire time. It's the size of a six bedroom house, except so much bigger because you're using all the, all the volume, the ceiling, the right. walls, whatever. So, but it's bizarre. You got to tether yourself to a sleeping bag. And I think Mark Kelly bungeed himself so he could feel gravity, a little bit of gravity, and you don't feel your arms, so you got like phantom limbs going, and your eyes change shape, so your vision is oh, it's bizarre. Wow. Yeah. Really? <laughs> no, really. Airs weekly 
on Tuesdays, the same day as get your off the beat and really, no, really double. Let's do a double dose. Like a milk and a cookie. Like a milk (laughs) and a cookie. I'll be whatever you don't want to be. Uh, you can listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcast, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brian, for coming on. I appreciate both of you so much getting to know you both better. And um, yeah, this is wonderful. Peter, when you have an idea for the two of us, you give me a call. You right? got it. I'm I'm halfway there already. It's called Lighten Up, and it, it's working title: House Number Show, House Shows number. for the Bald by Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being so gracious. Thanks, you guys. Jason, Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. That was that was a lot of fun. And look, your podcast. I mean, a podcast that somehow both breaches space and finds humanity in the worst of us. Guys, I'm all ears. Congratulations on that. Listeners, we're going to see you next week for another episode. We're going to have another one of your favorite people on the podcast. I mean besides me we're gonna have me and then also someone else that you love equally as much i know who it is and you know what i'm not telling nope i am not telling but come back and join us we're gonna tell some stories we're gonna have some laughs we're gonna learn a little bit and who knows i might even cry we'll talk to you then Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Diego Tapia. Our producers are Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan, Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by the one and only Creed Brett. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund to give yourself a straight talk wireless extended silver unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with straight talks unlimited plans starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much. You'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk 
at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. <laughs> 